Well, let's read Psalm 87. A Psalm of the Sons of Korah, a song. On the holy mount stands the city he founded. The Lord loves the gates of Zion more than all the dwelling places of Jacob. Glorious things of you are spoken, O city of God. Among those who know me, I mention Rahab and Babylon. Behold, Philistia and Tyre with Cush. This one was born there, they say. And of Zion it shall be said, This one and that one were born in her. For the Most High himself will establish her. The Lord records as he registers the peoples. This one was born there. Singers and dancers alike say, All my springs are in you. This is the Word of God. Well, today we're going to finish this short series on the Psalms that celebrate uh, the city of Zion. Uh, there are other ones. Uh, we may have to come back to them some other time. Uh, but today we're going to finish off this series on a high note. Uh, we're going to consider one last time what it is that makes the city of God so spectacular or what it is that makes the city so glorious. Uh, the key phrase of Psalm 87 is uh, this phrase, glorious things of you are spoken, O city of God. And so that's what Psalm 87 is about, the glorious things about Zion. And so everything written in this psalm is to convey to us just how glorious it is. And it's a fairly short psalm, as you would have noticed. Uh, but again, there are three parts to it, kind of like last week, where you could see that little Hebrew word, uh, selah, uh, where it, the psalm is divided. Um, but three parts, that means there must be three things that make the city of Zion glorious. So let's consider these three things uh, now. So first of all, what makes Zion glorious? The foundations of Zion. What is Zion founded on? And that's in verses 1 to 3. So it says, On the holy mount stands the city he founded. The Lord loves the gates of Zion more than all the dwelling places of Jacob. And so here we see that this is the city God himself founded. Uh, it's, that's what it says, verse 1. And so this speaks about how the city of God actually came about. Where did it come from? How did it uh, come about? It didn't just come about because a group of clever or powerful people got together and decided, hey, let's form a, a great city. No, no, this is a city that God himself has established. Uh, it's the city God founded. It's also the city God loves. Verse two, the Lord loves the gates of Zion more than all the dwelling places of Jacob. Now, the gates of the city weren't just the entrance and exit points. Uh, the gates were actually the, the real heart of the life of the city. The area around the gates was the center of government, of law and of trade. And so the gates and that whole area was really the heartbeat of the city, which is why it says the Lord loves uh, the gates of Zion. And so this is a city that God founded and it's a city that God loves. But really, that's just saying the same thing in two different ways. Uh, this is the city or God's people who are founded by his love. It's the city he founded, therefore he loves. It's the city he loves and he founded it in love. And if we are to see this city as a picture of salvation in Christ, which as we've seen, that's the way uh, the New Testament interprets it. 
then what we see in this, these opening two verses is a very comforting and reassuring uh, truth. And it's showing us that our, our salvation, our inclusion in the city of God is not of our own making. It's not something that we achieve of our own. It's actually founded not on anything in us, but it's founded on the love of God, God's eternal love. Do you know, when I was little, I used to go <clears throat> uh, fishing uh, quite a lot um, with my family and we would always go to a river because we lived up in the uh, country. And uh, I used to love sitting by rivers and just watching the water go past. Very peaceful thing to do. But it always used to fascinate me that you could sit there all day and watch the water just going, going by and it would never run out. And I used to wonder, where did all this water come from? Uh, well, I grew up and I finally learned that uh, if you follow the source of the river, it'll take you high up into the mountains, into the gullies up the top, where you will find huge fields of moss. And the moss <clears throat> is like a giant sponge. It catches the rainwater, it stores it up there, and it slowly trickles out into these little tiny streams, which eventually become rivers. And that's why the rivers just keep flowing. Uh, now, if we actually look at our salvation like this, and if we follow the source of our salvation, where does it come from? What is the source? If we follow it all the way to its very source, do you know what you will find? You will find that it was founded on the love of God, God's eternal love. So if you're a believer and you ask the question, why am I included into God's city? Why am I included in Christ? If you follow the source and find out where does it originate? Where does my salvation ultimately come from? Ultimately, you'll find that the answer is because God in eternity decided to love you. He loved you because he loved you. That's the way the Bible puts it. Uh, it's, it's not founded on something in us. God didn't love us because of, of some uh, characteristic that earned his love. He loved you because he loved you. He loved you because he wanted to save you and dwell with you forever. And so those who belong to Zion are those that God has set his love on. That's what this psalm is saying. God loves the gates of Zion. He loves the people and they are founded on his love. And therefore, if you are members of this city, you actually have a security that's eternal. Because Romans 8.39 says that nothing in all of creation is able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. And if this is the city founded on God's love, then that means this is the most desirable place to be. You know, recently we've seen a lot of images in the news of people in Afghanistan desperately trying to get out of that country. And some are so desperate uh, it's so upsetting to see them so desperate that some would even risk their lives clinging to the outside of a plane. And then there's all those really sad scenes of crowds with people holding up their papers, pleading for a better place, a better home. And we pray that they'll be able to get out. But it actually confronts us with a deeper question. Where in this world will anyone find a place that is actually truly free from all the things that cause misery. Now, where can you run to? Uh, 
and find a place that is actually free of, of all violence and all crime and all corruption? Where will you find a place that is truly free from greed? Where will you find somewhere where there is no loneliness or isolation, uh, where there is no depression or sickness or even death itself? I mean, obviously some places are better than others throughout the world, but where is the city that is founded and lives in the love of God and lives forever? Where is that? It's only this. It's the city of God at Zion. You know, if only people had that same desperation to get into Zion, God's city. See, the city founded <clears throat> by God's love endures forever. His love is from all of eternity and it goes all for all of eternity. And he, God's city is the place where there is no fighting and division, where even death itself will one day be a distant memory. It truly is the most desirable place. And because of this, the psalm goes on to say, glorious things of you are spoken, O city of God. Uh, verse 3. Now notice how that verse is actually looking to the future, because it says glorious things of you are spoken, O city of God. Uh, that, those words are spoken indicates that it's something still to come, looking forward. And uh, we've seen in this series that it always was looking forward. All of these Psalms that celebrate God's city are always looking forward to something much better. And especially so with this one, because this city, uh, the city of Jerusalem at the time of the writing of this Psalm was anything but glorious. It's most likely that this Psalm was written just after the time of the Babylonian exile in 586 BC. And we know that for two reasons. One is the psalm actually mentions Babylon in verse 4. <clears throat> but the other reason we know this is because the psalms throughout the book of Psalm, they are actually put into um, certain collections. Uh, you'll notice if you look very carefully, there's sections called book 1, 2, 3, 4 and 5 uh, throughout the psalms. And so there's groupings of psalms. And the, Psalm 87 actually occurs in a grouping of psalms that are related to the experience of the exile, the Babylonian exile. Uh, and so at the time of uh, this psalm, Jerusalem was anything but glorious. I mean, the temple was, was destroyed, the walls were smashed down, everything was burned, uh, the kings, they were gone, uh, the, the, they were under foreign rule, uh, there was still fighting and, and all kinds of problems in the city. And so there was nothing visibly glorious about the city of Jerusalem. And yet the people still sang glorious things of you are spoken, O city of God. Why? Because they looked forward. They looked forward by faith to what God's city would ultimately be. And we today, we are seeing it. We are seeing the glorious things being fulfilled in the church, as we'll look at in the next point. But one day, we too, well, even now, we are still looking forward by faith to what God's city will ultimately be. The city that's founded on his love. Glorious things of you are spoken. We're looking forward the glorious things that will be when Jesus comes again. So that's the foundations of Zion. The foundations are glorious because it's founded on the eternal love of God. 
Or second, we see in this psalm that the city of Zion is glorious because of its citizens. The citizens of Zion. That's the next point in verses 4 to 6. And this section, it tells us who the citizens are and how it is they became citizens of Zion. So verse 4, it says, Among those who know me, I mention Rahab and Babylon, behold, Philistia and Tyre with Cush. So notice there that the citizens of this city are described as those who know me by God. And that means they are in a personal relationship with God. They know him personally. He's not just some distant deity, but he's actually a friend. They know him personally. And verse 4 actually gives us a sample of who it is who are among these who know God. And it's a very surprising list. Let's just go through them. Uh, First, there's Rahab. Now, Rahab, it's a very interesting name in the Bible. This is actually a different name to the the Rahab that you find in the book of Joshua. Uh, It's spelt differently in the Hebrew. Um, But this is actually the name of an ancient sea monster. Uh, You will see that in places like Job uh, 26 verse 12, Psalm 89 verse 9 to 10, Isaiah 51 verse 9. And the meaning of this word Rahab, it actually has to do with strength and arrogance. So it's, it's probably the uh, Old Testament version of a big bully. And so you can see why that was a perfect name um, for a sea monster, a big bully. However, the Israelites used this word as a nickname for Egypt. And you see that in a place like Isaiah 30 verse 7, where it says, Egypt's help is worthless and empty. Therefore, I have called her Rahab, who sits still. So Rahab, Rahab is the big bully and that's Egypt. Uh, and Egypt, as you well know, was Israel's ancient enemy. They are the nation that enslaved God's people for hundreds of years. And here the big surprise is that people from Egypt are citizens of Zion, those who know the Lord. <clears throat> Second, though, there's Babylon. Babylon, and again, this is a big bad nation, another big bully, uh, another nation who enslaved the Israelites. And the original readers would have known this firsthand. They'd been through the Babylonian exile. And yet the big surprise is that, again, these enemies are listed among those who know the Lord. Third, we have Philistia. Now, Philistia was the home to the Philistines. Again, another enemy of Israel. Uh, They weren't as big and bad as Egypt and Babylon, but they were an annoying enemy uh, under, you know, um, Samuel, Saul, David, Samson. Uh, Israel never seemed to be able to get rid of the Philistines. They're kind of like COVID. Just when you think you've got on top of it, it comes again, comes back. And yet here God says, some from Philistia, are among those who know me. And then there's actually, who we got next? Tyre. Now, Tyre was a nation just north of Israel. Uh, They were a uh, a godless nation that worshipped wealth. Uh, Another way to put it, they were the rich snobs. Uh, And some of them, members of Zion. And then lastly, Cush. Now, Cush was a nation that was so far from Israel that no one really ever thought about them. Uh, They were the most unlikely to have any connection with the God of Israel. 
They were so different. They were so unlikely to be able to fit in. And yet here we see that some people from Cush are enrolled on the membership list of Zion. And so it's a very surprising list. You've got uh, people who were once arrogant bullies, people who were once oppressors, once obstinate enemies, uh, people who were godless rich, the godless rich, and distant strangers. This, you've got this motley crew of people all gathered together. I mean, this is like rounding up the suicide squad. And yet incredibly, God says, among those who know me, I mention them. Those enemies. This is incredible. And if that's not surprising enough, we then have this stunning declaration about their status in the uh, city of Zion. And it's mentioned three times from verse four. So it says, this one was born there, they say. And of Zion, it shall be said, this one and that one were born in her. For the Most High himself will establish her. There's that idea of being founded again. Uh, the Lord records as he registers the peoples. This one was born there. And so here we have people who by nature were born in places like Egypt, Babylon, Cush, and so on. But now they're said to be born in Zion. So what does that mean? It means that they are born again, born again in Zion. And that is completely unique. That is a, a completely unique city. There's no city like this. I mean, in our day, if someone from a country wants to uh, settle into another city, then the first step for them is to obtain a visa. And that visa allows them to enter into the country. And then once they're in there, if they can work and get, get established, uh, they can then apply for citizenship. And that's a huge length, lengthy process that uh, you've got to jump through all of these hoops. Uh, but if they are granted citizenship, then finally they are then considered to belong, citizens of the nation. However, their birth certificate will still say where they were originally born. But that's not how it happens in Zion. See, in God's city, not only does God give them citizenship, but he also gives them a new birth certificate. Uh, you know, he writes out a new certificate for them. And so in the end, they actually have two birth certificates, one by nature and then one by spiritual rebirth. And so one's birth certificate says born in Egypt or born in Babylon. But then they have a new birth certificate that says born again in Zion. And, uh, do you know, Jesus actually tells us that everyone who makes up Zion, every single person, both Gentiles and even Jews, must be born again in order to be a part of Zion. Remember when Jesus talked to Nicodemus in John 3 and he said to Nicodemus, you must be born again. And Nicodemus was thinking, how do I do that? That sounds very complicated. Um, and then Jesus says, you should know what I'm talking about. And he should because Psalm 87 is all about this. You've got to be born again. And Jesus actually says to Nicodemus, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And the kingdom of God is another way of describing the city of God. You cannot be a part of Zion unless you are born again, born again by the, the spirit himself. So Zion, what is Zion? It's a city of born again people. 
And this is what makes the city so glorious. I mean, verse four tells us that citizens, that the citizens by nature were enemies of God. And yet they are born again in Zion. They are reconciled to God so they can say that they know me. They know me personally. They're now friends. And they're all together from all these different places. They're all these diverse backgrounds. They're all together under the Lordship of God in this personal relationship with him as his born again people. And then verse six this, this is such a beautiful picture of God actually recording the names of all his born-again people in a register. And we actually hear about this register again at the end of the Bible, and it's called the Lamb's Book of Life. And here it is in Psalm 87. And so this is what is so glorious about Zion. It's the citizens. The citizens, who are they? They are people who know they don't deserve to be there. People who by nature were enemies of God and yet are now his friends. God has done something to turn enemies into friends. He has reconciled them to himself. How did he do that? Through the blood of Jesus. Jesus dying to pay for our sin on the cross. And through faith in him, we are reconciled to God. And so who makes up Zion? those who are saved by grace. This is the glory of Zion. This is a city of people saved by grace. Now, ultimately, we know that this is talking about the city to come in the new heavens and the new earth. Uh, in, in the new heavens and new earth, it will be made up of people from every tribe and language and, and, and nation. And yet, we already have a foretaste of this in the church today. So if you ask the question, where can you go today to find a bunch of people who are born again? Where do you find that? You find it in the church. Uh, the church is the community where born again people are reconciled to God and reconciled to each other uh, through Christ. And so this psalm, it is actually talking about how glorious the church is. Glorious things if you were spoken, O city of God. That's talking about the church today. And that is actually a helpful thing to think about because often people really, um, a lot of times we can struggle with the church and, and struggle to see how is this glorious? You know, especially in a place like Australia where the church seems so small and insignificant and, and seems to be being squeezed out of society. You know, we're increasingly looked at with uh, suspicion and disdain. And anyone who has been hurt by the church can really struggle to see how can the church be glorious? What is glorious about it? You know, we live in a day where there is a lot of discouragement and cynicism about, about Christ's church. But see, look at how this psalm speaks into that. Look at how encouraging this is. This is saying that every little church, every church, no matter how big or small, but every church where Christ is king, where his word is honored, where people are seeking to be faithful to him, that, that that gathering, no matter how big or small, is glorious. Why? Because it's a living miracle. It's made up of people who, who have been born again, people who have been saved by grace. That's what this gathering is. 
And so every little local church is really a snapshot of the worldwide city that God is putting together one born again soul at a time. And one day when Jesus returns, all of his saved people from all over the world, all of these little churches, all of God's born again people will be resurrected and will be gathered into that city that will cover the whole earth. And everyone will walk with him in the streets and in the gardens of Zion. See, this psalm, it helps us to see the bigger picture. Remember the people who originally sung this song, glorious things of you are spoken. And yet when they looked around, there was nothing visibly glorious before them. And today, how much more can we sing that? Because we're actually seeing this psalm being fulfilled. We're seeing the glorious things, God saving people by grace, people from all different backgrounds gathered together under Christ. And what we're seeing now being fulfilled, we still look forward by faith to the day when it will be that glorious city with all of God's people. Uh, like Revelation talks about that uh, the holy city, the new Jerusalem comes down out of heaven from God and a loud voice says, now the dwelling of God is with his people. Glorious things of you are spoken. And so this psalm it should actually make us appreciate and love the church all the more because this is the people that God has saved. And this reminds us that when we look at the church, we see people who are, who, who are there because they're founded by God's love, reconciled through the death of his son, born again by the spirit. It's in the church that you find the citizens of Zion. And yes, they're not perfect yet, still got lots of problems, but one day they will be perfect. When Christ returns and the church is glorified, then we will really sing glorious things are actually in, in practice uh, Zion, the city of God. And so the big question from this psalm then is, are you a member of Zion? Are you a citizen? Is your name on the register of those who belong to the city? Are you among those that God says they know me? Are you born again? In other words, have you put your faith in Jesus? Are you living under his lordship? See, there is nothing more important than this. You're either in the city of Zion, which endures forever, or you're in the city of this world which is passing away. The glory of Zion. See, Zion, it's glorious because it's founded on the love of God. It's glorious because its citizens are saved by grace. And then finally, we see in this psalm, we see the, the joy of Zion. Here's, here's another thing that's glorious. There is great joy in Zion. So have a look at verse 7. Here we have a picture of a celebration uh, the singers and dancers and the song that they sing and dance to, it's not a very long one. Uh, maybe this is just the chorus, but it says, all my springs are in you. All my springs are in you. And so that's a song about how the source of everything that makes life worth living, the source of, of true happiness and joy and satisfaction, the true source of, of all of that is 
in you, in Zion. That is in Christ, belonging to Christ. That's where the true joy is. This is the same idea that we saw in Psalm 46 that said, uh, there is a river whose streams make glad the city of God. See, this is something that only the citizens of Zion know. This, this joy and gladness. Uh, this is a source of joy and happiness that the world knows nothing about. Do you know all of the things in this world that, that can bring pleasure and, and happiness uh, and comfort? All of those things of the world, they're all empty compared to the joy of this. The joy of belonging to Christ, of belonging to his church and having this hope of dwelling forever with him. See, what we have in, in our salvation in Christ, that is the source of endless joy. See, all my springs are in you. Have you found that spring? Have you drunk from the wells of salvation, as Isaiah puts it? All my springs are in you. Do you know one very unlikely convert to uh, Christianity uh, was a man by the name of John Newton. John Newton. Now, before coming to Christ, John Newton was a drunkard and a slave trader in the 18th century. But he too was born again by God. He was made a citizen of Zion. And we know him because he's left us with a heap of really great hymns. Uh, Amazing Grace was written by John Newton. Um, but he also wrote another hymn which was based on this psalm called Glorious Things of You Are Spoken. And that song ends like this. Saviour, since of Zion City, I through grace a member am. Let the world condemn or pity. I will glory in your name. Fading is the worldly pleasure, all its weak pretense and show, solid joys and lasting treasure. None but those of Zion know. Glorious things have you are spoken, O city of God. This is the people loved by God the citizens saved by grace, and those who are eternally glad. All my springs are in you. What a wonderful picture of salvation. What a wonderful joy of belonging to Christ and to his church. And what a wonderful hope we have to dwell in the city of God forever. What a glorious thing. Amen.